Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Double Down, a WNBA podcast. This is Eric Nemchak. That is Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, today we're going to be talking about the Las Vegas Aces, continuing our 2019 overview and 2020 outlook series. Uh, the Las Vegas Aces, they were pretty hyped up prior to last season, and I'd say they, they delivered on that hype. How about you? Yeah, I would say so as well. Yeah, they had a finish with a 21-13 and 13 record, which was good for fourth in the WNBA, although, to be fair, they were uh, in contention for first place for most of the season, actually. Uh, net rating, they finished second, positive 4.1. Offensive rank, they ranked fifth, 99.1 points scored per 100 possessions. Defensive rank, they were excellent. They allowed 95 points per 100 possessions. So, Stephen, where I kind of want to start with this team is, it's very interesting when you think about the Aces because you think of them as this very physically overpowering team, but they could get out and run, too. Yeah, I mean, they really wanted to push it down your throats after Mrs. Ormix. Uh, they were the number one team in transition frequency, um, and they had a lot of great transition players. So they were only eighth in you know points per possession in transition, but that same rating, that would be good for the second half-court offense. So, you know, yay for frequency. We, we always talk about it on the show. We um, The more often you can get transition opportunities, the better, because they are just, you know, high-efficiency looks. And th- that was kind of the balance of their team, right? They they ran it as often as they could, and then when they couldn't, they really dumped it down to their dominant bigs. And they have a couple dominant bigs, of course. Uh, Elizabeth Cambage at center and Asia Wilson at power forward, or in some cases also a center. So a lot, a lot obviously, is going to run through those two players. I don't think what we saw from Las Vegas last season was – necessarily surprising I mean you could tell just the way by the way the roster was built they're going to want to dump it down to the post as much as possible and really take advantage of those very physical players those very dominant low post players now what I kind of want to talk about here for to start off is I mean any any team with Elizabeth Cambage and Asia Wilson on it in the front court you're obviously going to see a lot of post-up attempts as you should they're both very good post-up players uh, and you kind of want to take advantage of their physicality as much as you can but on the other hand they were not a very good jump shooting team. They didn't try a lot of good jump shots. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, they were last by a mile in terms of their three-point attempt rate, and they were allowed to take the highest proportion of unguarded catch-and-shoot opportunities, like by a lot. 63.5% of their catch-and-shoot opportunities were considered unguarded. The next highest was 60.1%, and they ranked 11th in efficiency on those, on those possessions. They were second in frequency in the mid-range, you know, between 11 to 15 feet. They were 11th in in that range in terms of their efficiency. Only the ninth highest in terms of like the very long twos, the 16 to 21 foot shots. So some credit there, I guess, just in terms of avoiding like the very worst shots in the league. But yeah, number one in in post-up frequency. They were third overall in frequency of shots taken around the rim. So they really wanted to get it to the basket as often as they could. As they should. Like once again, if you have... Cambage and Wilson on your team, that's, that's going to be a priority. And when I saw the, the, the figure as far as ninth highest in terms of very long twos, I was somewhat surprised because the Aces shot chart was just so bad in 2018. So props to them for modernizing it a little bit. But the three-point shooting, I mean, that's something that needs to change for them, I think. Will it change? I don't know. We're going to go over that later. But uh, you kind of want to ideally balance out your low post play with good three-point shooting. We're not so high on that. But like I said, we'll get to that later. Yeah, let's talk about the, the post-up game for them a little sure. bit. They have, as you mentioned, Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson. It's just really two varying degrees of like dominant post players. I think there are a few forces in the league that are as dominant as Liz Cambage down there. 86th percentile on post-ups, 
but only Griner was ahead of her in terms of having efficiency for any kind of like high volume. You know, all the other players were like, you know, 40 possessions or something like that. Both of these two players over 200 possessions. And then the next player down on that list uh, would be Asia Wilson for, you know, being over a hundred possessions and, you know, really being a dominant player. She was in the 79th percentile as well. So when you have a player like Asia Wilson, who, you know, the team's second best big is going to be tasked with guarding her at all times. Like she's just going to put you in the goal. You just can't guard both of those players. You can stop one of them, but it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to stop them both. Yeah. It's extremely difficult, especially when you consider rebounding because they're, they're both pretty good rebounders as well. I think both of them are just so long and, and, and tough to guard. And it's not like, either of these players are simply brute force players. You know, they're both quite skilled for their size. And Asia in particular, man, I just, I just love watching her play, dude. She's, she's just so explosive. I know you have in your, in your notes, spin move, heart, heart eyes emoji, or heart eyes emoji. That's, that's, it's really fun to watch her go to work when she's in space. So that's, and she's how old? 22? Yeah, this past season was just her age 22 season that I had in my notes here. Like, it feels silly to like, put her under like the young player section of the team notes here, but you know, just coming off her age 22 season and, and being as good as she already is, you know, she can just put the ball in the hole in a variety of ways. You know, she's able to use her body to seal defenders down low. She's able to take it off the dribble with both hands, you know, not a dominant right hand to be sure. Definitely a little bit of opportunity to improve there, but she's just, she's a great player. 62% shooting from around the rim, you know, obviously not a three point shooter, but a pretty effective mid range shooter as well. So she's a great player with a really bright future. And she gets to the free throw line a lot as well. Yeah, that's a great point. One of the league leaders in getting to the line. So, um, And it makes sense that the Aces were number one free throw attempt rate as a team. I wasn't surprised to see that figure at all. And like Again, they're just so physically imposing. And when you factor in that transition play, I think that kind of buoyed their offense a little bit because when they weren't able to either take a shot at the rim or get a shot in transition, they kind of struggled. I think the thing I was most surprised to see kind of looking at the numbers was like their struggles in the pick and roll game. Like obviously the floor is very shrunk a lot of the times, but to be 10th in efficiency for the roller, ninth in frequency for the roller, you know, in 2018, Liz Cambage was in the 62nd percentile as a roller, dropped all the way down to the 31st percentile last year. Uh, Her volume was about cut in half when she went to Vegas. You know, Asia Wilson was a little bit more of the pick and roll target, liked to pop out to the elbow. But I mean, I know they don't have like dominant pick and roll guards, but to see the numbers that low, you know, they were also ninth in ball handler efficiency and 10th in frequency there. So to see the pick and roll numbers that low, even kind of considering, you know, the preconceived notions of their spacing was was pretty surprising to me. So, I mean, that was, that's actually what I was going to say next. I was going to ask you, would this inefficiency in the pick and roll have a lot to do with their lack of floor spacing? Because they were dead last in pick and roll efficiency, including passes, 0.744 points per possession. That's that's awful. They didn't really have a ton of playmaking out there on the perimeter, but you know, it takes two to tango, I suppose. And you would think that Cam Beige and Wilson would, would put up better pick and roll numbers than they did. Well, you know, I think one aspect to how their pick and roll game played out sort of the struggles and, and I don't really blame Bill Lambier for doing this necessarily, but Liz Cam Beige just wasn't really used as a floor spacer as frequently in Las Vegas as, as she was the previous season in Dallas. You know, she's obviously such a dominant player that you want her around the rim as frequently as possible, but she does have the skill set to at least bring it out there a little bit. So obviously we mentioned Asia Wilson doesn't shoot the three really. So Jackie Young playing a lot of minutes, Tamara Young playing a lot of minutes. There was just always an opportunity for helping defenders there. So it's really a lot easier, I think, for kind of like wings and smalls to help in the pick and roll game than, than it is necessarily to kind of have a small player come bother Liz Cambage in the post. 
and, and I'm pretty sure Bill Embier realizes that. that. That's one thing. He's, he knows what this team is good at. He knows that the post-up is their bread and butter. And he probably knows that they're, they're going to struggle as a half-court offense if they can't get the ball down to the post. So let's talk about uh, another player they've got. You know, we, we said they don't really have much three-point shooting, but they do have Kayla McBride, and she's a good one. Yeah, before we move on to Caleb McBride, just one quick one I want to make just kind of about the overall half-court offense. You know, they were number one in total assist percentage, so it's not like it was an offense where they just kind of dumped it down. They were, you know, a pretty creative offense for a team with such limited spacing. But with regards to Caleb McBride, I mean, she's she's just like an incredibly steady player. I think, in, in my opinion, one of the more like malleable players in the league. Like she could play heavy minutes. This is a point that I made on an upcoming episode where we redraft the 2014 draft, but there's not a team in the league, in my opinion, where she wouldn't give you great minutes on both ends of the floor. Like she, you don't really need to adjust anything you're doing around Kayla McBride. All she does is bring to the table, you know, an incredibly versatile jump shot, great footwork, great balance, a quick release on that shot. Um, Maybe better than any of the other real premier shooters at being a screener to get herself open threes. Uh, That was something they did a lot last year. So I actually do kind of fear that the Kelsey Plum injury will maybe take the ball out of her hands even less than the reduced role that we saw with Liz Cambage coming in last year because, you know, someone has to stand outside the three-point line. So they're going to probably continue to run her off a lot of screens, which is great, just to create some sort of body spacing when there isn't more organic gravity to these perimeter players. And, you know, just defensively, she's going to be a part of a successful defense, you know, similar to what I said about Alicia Gray a couple weeks ago. You know, she's probably never going to make an all-league defense team, but she's really solid, can give you defensive versatility, can guard pretty much three positions. So gets to the free throw line okay, finishes well around the rim, uh, maybe gets there a little bit less than you like. But what can you say about Kayla McBride other than she's you know incredibly steady and a player you would love to have as your third best player? I mean, steady is the first word that comes to my mind when describing Kayla McBride. That's, you're exactly right. And she does have a very versatile jump shot. It's not like she's just a spot-up shooter. She does know how to get open coming off screens, as you said. So uh, she she does add that kind of wrinkle to their offense that makes her so valuable to this team. But she's also a player who you know who can provide that on any team. You know, it's not just because she's the lone floor spacer around a dominant front quarter. Now, you did mention Kelsey Plum has an injury. It's a bummer, folks. She's she uh, tore her Achilles just a few days ago. Going to be out for the season. Steven, this this really stinks for Vegas because Kelsey Plum played a vital role in this team. Yeah, you know, she was kind of yanked around with her playing time a little bit last year some people think it was kind of the best thing for her in the end because of what she produced in the playoffs but they're really going to miss what she brings to the table you know she in terms of the numbers and the efficiency she's not their best transition player she's not their best three-point shooter but she was kind of their only pick and roll operator she's a good three-point shooter she's a good finisher on the rim when you just kind of look at her overall numbers you know the two-point jumpers are what really kind of killed her efficiency in the regular season she took 30% of her shots were from two-point jump shots, and she only hit 27% on those. So as kind of the playoffs went along and she got a little bit more confident in her role, I think those shots reduced a little bit, and that's when we really saw, you know, playoff plum or or whatever. So just the way she kind of pushes the ball, the tempo she brings, the shot profile that she brings in terms of, like, the pull-up threes, the threes in the pick and roll, all the things that kind of this roster doesn't really have a way to replace. She's obviously not their best player, but she's going to be sorely missed. Yeah, and you mentioned Kelsey Plum in the playoffs when, when she kind of, I don't want to say broke out because she was she was quite good in, in 2018 throughout the season, but when she got those consistent minutes, the Aces, they lost to the eventual champion Washington Mystics in the semifinals, but that was a closer series than I think the final three games to one score would suggest. 
Like two of those losses came within single digits. The first game, I believe, was actually decided on a Kelsey Plum missed free throw call. Yeah, and even shortly before that, you know, she had a chance to, uh, I think, either tie the game or, or pull it between four and two, and she, you know, missed one of those kind of short mid-range two-point jump shots, but had a phenomenal game otherwise. Right, so I think that's exactly right. She's she's a player who, I wouldn't say she excels at any one thing, but her off her diverse skill set is one that's going to be basically impossible for the Aces to replace with any one player, at least any one player that's currently on the market. And looking back at that, at that semifinal series, you know, in each game, you know, game one, 97 to 95, game two, 103 to 91, and then game four, which they lost 94 to 90. It's hard for me to see them being that competitive in a, in consistently in shootout after shootout without a player like Kelsey Plum. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Offense is going to be a little bit more hard to come by. Like I, Kelsey Plum is a good defender and I think they'll miss her, but they can definitely replace that a little bit easier on that end you know they brought in Danielle Robinson they have a little bit of positional versatility where they can play either like Jackie Young at the one or the three you know and and it's not just that they're going to miss her because she's a player that can shoot threes like she's a legitimately good player that would help most good teams like she she can play now you mentioned Jackie Young uh she was drafted number one overall by the Aces in 2019 she was kind of given the starting point guard position right out of the gates her season was up and down Yeah, up and down is a good way to put it. You know, there are definitely some things to like, I think, about Jackie Young's season, and I think you'll probably agree with me there. You know, when you look just at the numbers, 420% true shooting, that's bad. 38% of her shots came within five feet. That's pretty encouraging. Finished those shots at about 33.7%. That's not encouraging. Her inability to finish around the rim last year was at times inexplicable. Like she missed a lot of bunnies, you know, a lot of opportunities where she maybe did beat her defender or, or could have just kind of finished it. And it just like, you know, bounced out. So, you know, did have a a really high assist rate for a rookie. You know, I don't think a ton of those were super high leverage assists. And, you know, I'm going to retread some, some points I made on a a Twitter tangent a while ago in regards to her passing, because I took a pretty long look at her passing a few months back and you know, I think in transition, she's like a really good hit-ahead passer. They have obviously like really two great transition bigs in Asia Wilson and Derrica Hamby, and she, you know, hit those leakouts really well. But with regards to her passing, like she wasn't really setting up players by breaking down her own defender and like creating help opportunities from the defense. You know, there were a lot of just kind of like, she was the point person on some some set pieces where she would just kick it to the person coming off a screen, if it was like Kayla McBride or you know, one thing that I think she really excelled at was like post-entry passes. And, you know, this is a skill that maybe can't be overstated given her set of teammates. She doesn't just kind of like throw it in and and hope that her player goes and gets them. Like she will put the ball right to the seal, make it an an easy turn and finish for the big if they have position down there. So being able to just like allow your dominant players to take advantage of their size and, and more importantly, their positioning, like that's a really valuable skill set for Jackie Young. But in her own offense, like, 12th percentile in transition like that is amazingly bad for a player with her volume uh managed to get all the way up to the 27th percentile in transition offense like including her passes but uh, like that is not encouraging you know i i I do think that'll improve because i think her finishing will improve but what did you think about jackie young's season kind of overall i was honestly a little disappointed i was a big fan of jackie in college i i I kind of figured she wasn't going to be much of a threat from the outside but the finishing around the rim is just really surprised me and not in a good way because that, it, to me, that was like one of her strengths at Notre Dame. It, obviously this, you know, looking at synergy stats and 
translating, you know, from college to WNBA is not, might be pretty noisy, but I mean, she was in the 96th percentile as a junior finishing around the basket. So that's, wow. and you, like you look at her frame and it's like, how is this player not better around the basket? Because she's, she's, she's a big guard. She's like six feet tall, I believe. A lot of upper body strength. Yeah. I mean, you can tell she's a strong player. Like she yeah. gets the free throw line pretty well. You know, she, you can see her like at times just kind of like bodying the player guarding her, but the layups just didn't go in. So it, would you guess, I mean, that it's just like the speed of the game she had trouble adjusting to or what? Yeah, I think there was probably some speed of the game stuff. You know, obviously the floor was pretty cramped there. But I, I honestly think like not only is this sort of what I'm hoping to see, but this is what I'm expecting to see from her. Like I think her finishing is going to get better. You know, it probably won't jump up to like 55% in one season, but you know, I expect her to be at least a serious threat to get to the rim and dribble penetration and finish at at least a respectable clip, be able to kind of create some some more high leverage assists. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I, I think the thing with Jackie Young is she just needs to get better at three-level scoring. That's, that's obviously easier said than done, but she wasn't really a threat to score efficiently from anywhere on the floor, and that's not good. Although I, I think I think you're right. She does have, out of the three levels, she has the, the best the best chances at becoming a, a good finisher around the rim at least, or or returning to being a good finisher around the rim like she was in college. Uh but I think there's still a lot to like here. They, I don't think they should give up on her at all because um, she's got – I think she's got a lot of defensive potential as well. She's somebody who ideally should be able to guard like one through three and not really have much of a problem with it. Obviously, you know, defense is, is tough for rookies, but that's another thing. I think she's got a lot of, a lot of room to, to grow at. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think she was, you know, a solid defensive player last year. It certainly wasn't like a disaster by any stretch. Like I thought she played – one-on-one defense pretty well. And I would expect her to bring defensive versatility that you were just talking about where she could guard one through three and, you know, make some of the decisions with this pretty limited lineup missing Kelsey Plum a little bit easier for Lambeer. And with regards to the shooting, like, honestly, I would love the shooting to come around and her to be a reliable three-point shooter. But even if it's just the finishing that comes around and, and she's able to get to the basket and from there, draw help and kind of create there. Like, I think that even might be enough from sure. kind of what this team needs from her. Okay. Well, what this team needed from her pre-plum injury, maybe not now. Well, okay, yeah, and, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. So before we kind of head to the Aces 2020 outlook, there's one player who we still want to uh, talk about who I currently have a very uh, love-hate relationship with, De'Erica Hamby, who, as you mentioned in your notes, she's very good uh, 40 feet from the basket, but she can also do some plenty of other things as well. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were going to read that or not, but um, yeah, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, she was just amazing in, in all the ways that Vegas needed her to be last year. You know, they were universally better with her on the floor. Each of Wilson and Cambage had better ratings with Hamby, you know, without Hamby and just playing together. You know, playing all three of them together was not a look they went to all that frequently in the regular season, but in close games in the playoffs, that's how they closed. And maybe some of that had to do with, you know, Washington going to their three big alignment pretty frequently, but she's a good cutter. I think the the numbers probably don't really do her justice at how good of a cutter that she is. I just really love her floor game, the way that she sets screens, rolling to the basket, obviously like an absolute horse in transition, 89th percentile. And 76 possessions, that's a ton for a bench player. So she really just like leaked out and, you know, was a real key part of this like dominant transition offense that Vegas had. And then brings defensive versatility. You know, she can guard, depending on the matchup, three through five. So just a bench player that any team would love to have. And honestly, she could be she could be a starting player on, on many teams, I think. Yeah, Deirdre Gabby, she, she really, 
she really came into her own last season. I mean, I think she was pretty good in the minutes she played the previous season as well. But I mean, you look at her game, she's a lot more versatile than I think a lot of people realize because she was able to to contribute so much at the three. Do you think that's an ideal lineup for Las Vegas though? Like Hamby at the three with Wilson and, and Cambage? I mean, it's not a lineup I, I love, to be honest with you. I understand why they went to it so much uh, against Washington last year, because Washington's three big lineup is something that they could get away with because of like the shooting that they all bring. And and there wasn't really too much opportunity where, where Vegas was going to burn them for doing it. So, you know, I think if they are closing with that three-person lineup, like, you know, we've talked about this with some other teams in some other situations. Like, if that's what's happening, then, then something has gone wrong. Just in terms of, like, what Angel McCautry is giving you or what Jackie Young is giving you. What do you think? Well, I was just thinking about this. Like, to me, Hamby's real value in this team lies in her presence just allowing Bill Embiid to stagger his, his front court. See, Liz Cambage gets in foul trouble. Or Asia Wilson gets in foul trouble. You can bring in Dierica Hamby and either play her next to Cambage or slide Wilson over to the five and really not lose a heck of a lot. And even if she's just coming in, coming in as a reserve, she can destroy opposing benches. Like I said, this is a starting caliber player on almost like any other team in the league. So just having her for, for depth is a, a tremendous luxury. I'm not sure I agree 100% with her being like a starting player on a ton of teams. I think being a bench big is maybe her ideal role. But what you were saying before, just about being able to like seamlessly play along either one of their superstar bigs, like that's such an incredible asset to have. Okay, so is there anything else you wanted to hit on before we kind of talk about the aces moving forward? I did kind of want to like take a step back, maybe talk about like why their defense was so good last year. They allowed the lowest proportion of shots from within five feet in the league. We're only sixth in, you know, field goal percentage in that area. But again, I'll take proportion over percentage here because just by nature, this is a high percentage shot being so close to the basket. So to allow the lowest proportion of those shots is is really impressive. And obviously having those two big superstars down there contributes a lot to it. They were fourth lowest in transition frequency allowed. Uh, They were the best rebounding team. They were third in block percentage. But their two big stars were both individually in the top three in block percentage at 5% or better. And as a team, with those two in the game, with Asia Wilson and Ken Beige both on the floor, Las Vegas had an 11% block rate. And with those two both in the game, they allowed less than a 17% free throw rate. So just a completely dominant defense with those two on the floor. You know, they did, of course, allow the highest three-point attempt rate. That was you know, something they were maligned for for much of the season. And I think they did maybe get a little bit of good shooting luck. Uh, by their opponents, they allowed the seventh highest proportion of unguarded catch-and-shoot opportunities, but were number two in efficiency. So that disparity tells me that you are getting a little lucky just in terms of your opponents not making shots. But allowing the, the highest three-point attempt rate is a trade-off you make when you're also allowing the lowest proportion of the shots at the rim. You know, it's not like these opposing teams are foregoing those threes for layups. Like, they also, they're not allowing layups. And so it's either threes or, or mid-range shots. Absolutely. And I actually remember this uh, a few years ago when the, when the LA Sparks were really dominant under Brian Agler. I think it was the year they won the championship, actually. I was looking at this, and, and teams were shooting a ton of three-pointers against them. And I thought, like, is this, is this just a bad defensive system? Well, no. I mean, they had, they had prime Candace Parker and prime Neko Gumake in the front court, like, not allowing shots at the rim. So, of course, teams are going to look, look to shoot more three-pointers because the paint is just completely cut off. So you're going to continue to see the Aces be a dominant defense next season? Yeah, I would expect this defense to be among the very best in the league. It's offense, obviously, where where we have questions um, with the plum injury. It's offense where we have questions, and we're going to get into that now. The Aces made what might be the one of the biggest splashes in free agency, if not the single biggest splash. They got Angel McCartry from, uh, she was a free agent uh, from the Atlanta Dream, obviously, 
one of the best players in the past decade. I would call her like maybe one of the best players ever. And they also got uh, Daniel Robinson as a point guard, free agency. Um, they brought back Lindsey Allen, point guard. Departures, you know, Kelsey Plum will obviously not be playing. Chandler Young, they let go in free agency. Sydney Colson, they let go in free agency, went to Chicago. Epiphany Prince, they let go in free agency. She went to Seattle. And Jisoo Park will not be playing with the team either. So, Stephen, where do you want to start with these, with these additions? Because they made a lot of noise, but we're not so sure if it's going to be – I don't want to say worth it, but there might be some trade-offs as, as concerning how much they're actually going to help the team. Yeah, I mean, let's start with Angel. I mean, I think it's unfair to assume they're going to get prime Angel McCautry, but if she's able to contribute, like what, what do you expect her to bring to this team? She's going to bring more transition game. Um, I know you have in your note in, in our, our notes here that uh, she hasn't really been a, an efficient transition player for a few years, but that's still an area of the game, which, I mean, you want to see Angel McCartry in transition for your team because she can, she gets out there so often and probably I would say aggressive on ball defense or ball Hawk defense. I'm not sure if she's going to be like, again, like you said, she, it's probably unfair to expect her to be prime Angel McCartry, especially considering she's coming off knee injury, but you know, the big question here is she's been such a high-volume player throughout her career, and she's had the ball in her hand so often. Like, how is this going to change the identity of the team? Can she consistently defer to their front court? Because that's never something she's been asked to do in Atlanta. So, you know, she's never really been a great spot-up shooter, a great three-point shooter. That's something she's going to need to be effective at with this team. And you know, how many minutes is she going to play with Plum out? I'm not sure what to expect, honestly. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, in theory, they do need what she should bring to the table if she's anything like the last time we saw her play. You know, she's obviously someone who can get all the way to the rim, at least for her own offense. You know, she's not someone who is going to provide you a ton of creation for others. And like you mentioned, doesn't really help space the floor at all. So I I think the fit is a little less than ideal. You know, obviously, I, I guess if you are you know, on the precipice of contending and you can get Angel McCartry, you just do it because, you know, what is the the downside, you know? But I guess my biggest question is, we'll see if she's still able to kind of be a positive force on defense. You know, I think she probably will still have something left in the tank there. She's always been able to get to the line pretty well. Um, but as you were alluding to, you know, hasn't really been an effective transition player since 2016. You know, 2018, she was, you know, pretty bad in that regard. And obviously, I think a lot of that was just kind of Atlanta's uh, personnel. They were just a, a pretty bad offense, even in that season where they somehow made it to the, the number two seed. 2016 was kind of the last time she was an average to above average transition player. And, you know, hopefully she'll still give them a ton of volume and bring on more of a creator role. But I think it's a little hard to ask her to adapt to that part of her game at this stage in her career. Well, I mean, to be fair, this is still Angel McCarthy we're talking about. And she has to, if you look at it from this perspective, She's replacing Tamara Young, more or less. Like, would you rather have Angel McCarthy or Tamara Young? Yeah, I think that is a little easier to say in a vacuum than it is, like, in practice. It is Angel McCarthy, and she is, like, a sure thing Hall of Famer, and she's going to expect to be closing games for you because she's Angel McCarthy. But to expect a player who was obviously frustrated with the way things ended in her last situation to be able to come in and play you know, a reduced role, but now they don't need a reduced role, I guess. So it, it doesn't really matter. But I, I think I still am a little concerned with what she's going to bring to the team. Okay. And that's, and that's fair. So now how about Daniel Robinson? Because I think we, we were discussing this off air. We we're kind of going, we we're kind of going back and forth on this. Um, 
to me, like, this was not a very necessary signing. And this is obviously before Kelsey Plum got injured, unfortunately. You, you kind of flip-flopped on that. Tell us why. Well, I flip-flopped for it for about five minutes, and I'm, I'm back <laughs> with it. Uh, it, was, it was not a signing I liked when it happened. You know, with the Plum injury, I guess it looks a little bit better. But, I mean, just the idea of them kind of choosing to bring in Danielle Robinson over Sidney Colson, like, I do not understand that. Like, obviously, Danielle Robinson's a more accomplished player, but she's a valuable defensive player. You know, she can get to the rim, like, really well. It's not like she is just kind of a, a player who's going to just exclusively take mid-rangers. You know, she does take 40% of her shots from within five feet and finishes over 50%. So that's pretty good. You know, I think she is going to fit into what they do defensively. Like they like to kind of pressure opposing backcourts. So that is good, I guess. But wouldn't you just rather have Sidney Colson on this team? Yes. Yes. And that's, and that's no disrespect. It's, it's just like, okay, you have another, another guard who can't really shoot and wants to get to the rim, yet another one. It's, it seems kind of redundant at this point. Yeah, and she's never really been a positive force in transition, not that Colson was either, to be sure. But she's you know not a creator for others, so she's not going to fill that void for Vegas. She's been right around or, or below average in terms of her own efficiency. But even if she is able to kind of score effectively for herself, and this is something I talk about all the time, like even if your own numbers look okay, if you're just shrinking the floor that much when you're off the ball, in totality, you're doing more harm than good. Yeah, we talk about floor shrinkage all the time. Now, so they bring in D-Rob, this, this veteran player who's, who's been starting on teams for a very long time now. Do you start her over Jackie Young or no? I, I would go with Jackie Young, at least until Jackie Young you know, shows you whether or not she's taken the necessary leap to deserve that starting spot. I think you have to go with Young by default there. You know, she does just give you a little bit of more playmaking. She will at least hit 30% of her three-point shots, even if she's not getting guarded out there. But neither one of them are going to get guarded out there. And, and Jackie will at least stand out there. And Jackie Young's just a way better passer. Um, she gives you more size. And she, you know, the upside of this team, something we talk about all the time, like the floor is pretty set in stone of Daniel Robinson's your starting point guard. And there are elements to the game that Jackie Young might bring, and it remains to be seen if she will. But there are things that, that Jackie Young, you know, could bring to this team if all works out for her that, you know, you're just not going to get with Danielle Robinson. I agree. Now, looking at this team right now, this, this depth chart here, they've got some room to make a move or two. And this is something that I think, you know, WMA Twitter, the community has been discussing ever since the news broke that Kelsey Plum is going to be out for the season. Uh, there are still some options out there as far as guard and or wing players. Who, who do you think they should, uh, they should try to bring in? Well, let's talk about the options. So we kind of laid out four veteran players that I think are kind of in the running or should be in the running for this spot. Kayla Davis, Javante Zellis, Tamara Young, Essence Carson. I mean, if we want to just kind of go through them all quickly and, and see what we the conclusion we come to at the end, you know, Kayla Davis may be the most destructive player in basketball last year in terms of harming her own team's productivity when she was on the floor. You know, she's clearly not a point guard, not a playmaker has a higher career turnover percentage than assist percentage, which is you know pretty hard to do. She definitely has the athleticism to get by her own defender. You know, 33% of her shots so far in her career have come within five feet. That's pretty good. Uh, she's a 40% shooter from there. That's pretty bad. You know, I think she has the defensive tools to be like a really productive defender just in terms of her athleticism. And I think it's fair to say that those tools have been underutilized so far. Her career 32% three-point shooting isn't terrible and if she is the option you know those 
shots would be pretty open in Vegas probably just because one, the dominant post players that, that Vegas has. And, you know, she doesn't necessarily have a reputation as a knockdown shooter. And I think defenses are just going to let Vegas shoot as many threes as they want to turn down. So she's a career 36% shooter from two point range. Like she just loves taking mid range jump shots that she's not going to hit. So, you know, I believe in her as a second draft candidate. I think I would maybe like to see her in a situation where she probably would be burdened with less of a creator role. But did, do you want to go on to the next player or should we just go one by one here? Uh, we, we can keep going. Um, you know, Shavante Zellis remains unsigned. She is pretty well tenured in the league. I'm not, I'm not really sure about this one either though, Steven, because like, what is she, what is the one skill that she's going to, she would theoretically bring to the aces? Like, She's okay getting the rim, but she's not really going to be making plays for others or shooting well from three. And like when, like I said before, in Kelsey Plum, you have a player who can both shoot the three and create for others, right? And you're ideally going to want to replace one of those skills in a potential signee. I'm not really sure Savante Zellis does either of those things well enough to justify that. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Um, okay. You know, I... Spoiler alert, Shavante Zellis wouldn't be last on my list, but it's hard to see kind of what you were saying, the thing that she brings to this team that they would really be looking for. Who so, would be last on your list? Uh, this player, Tamara Young. Uh, she'd be my fourth choice out of these four. We'll, we'll get to the last one next. You know, what she brings, which is solid. Uh, not solid. She's, she's really good. She's a good defender, even still at her, you know, advanced age for the league. Um, I think she's you know, the same age as both Zealous and uh, our next player, Essence Carson. But, you know, what she brings just isn't what this team needs. They have perimeter defense and they have mid-range jump shots. <laughs> they, have plenty, they have plenty of mid-range jump shots. They have plenty of defense. Yeah, again, it's just like she's not really going to replace anything that, that they're losing by losing Kelsey Plum. So I don't really and, – and also, like, she was on the team last year and they let her go. So it's like if they really wanted her, I think they would have brought her back already. But, I, you know, I don't, I don't claim to know what goes on behind the scenes there. But like you said, the fourth player I want to talk about is Essence Carson. Um, this is probably my choice. Uh, still not ideal, but, you know, she's she's got the size to defend on the perimeter at least. And she has at least one valuable skill, which would be maybe three-point shooting. Like, now that I think about it, is she a good enough three-point shooter to justify signing? I mean, she's hit them at a good enough career clip, but – you know, as uh, Bendel highlighted recently, you know, the volume has just really never been there. You know, would love to kind of see more seasons where she was taking like two or, or more a game. But, you know, she does bring that one skill that this team desperately needs. I wouldn't consider her a plus defender, but with a team full of plus defenders, you know, you could play in Essence Carson some minutes. So I don't know, maybe, you know, you just look at Essence Carson's and say for those bench minutes we'll, where we need shooting, we'll just play Sugar Rogers. Um, but Essence Carson's is probably still my choice. What about you? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I'm actually not sure how much Essence Carson has left in the tank. One thing I wanted to, to bring up is re regarding her volume with three-point shots. She is, as Richard Cohen will tell you, one of the worst defenders in the league at the shot with one foot on the line. So maybe that's a little bit of context. But like looking, looking at the marker right now, it's, it's pretty thin. And I think there's probably a reason why like none of these players have really been picked up yet. I think they could, what they could also do, in my opinion, they could also go for a, like a, like a younger player, like somebody who's more of a playmaker, like looking at the players who got cut prior to the non-existent training camp, like someone like Taya Cooper 
from Phoenix maybe, but then you're, then you're kind of getting into, well, it's another ball handler. Do you need another ball handler? I don't think you do. Yeah, man, this it all circles back to this Kelsey Plum injury. It's just going to be really difficult. It's very unfortunate timing. They do have the, they do have the cap space to do it, though, and here's the thing, what I want to add. They had cap space before this to make an, another signing. So I think what Bill Lambeer and, and Dan Padover, the GM of the Aces, they're just being patient. They're like, okay, we've got our core. We've got some complementary players. We know that other teams are in very bad cap situations, and they're going to be forced to make these cuts. So we're just going to wait to scoop somebody up. But um, obviously, now it's more of a priority. So it's like, are they going to go with like a vet who might command a higher salary or a younger player who's trying to stick on a roster spot? So if you had to uh, kind of rank those four players that we just went over in terms of for this specific team, how do you think you would rank them? Uh, I'd go Essence Carson number one, just because she is probably the most dependable outside shooter of the bunch. I'd actually go Kayla Davis number two because she has that that ceiling. I'm not sure like how much you're considering ceiling when a player is pretty much just like a stopgap signing. However, athletically speaking, I think she's got much, much, much more in the tank than any of the other players on the list. Maybe a change of scenery will be, change of scenery will be good for her. And maybe she can develop as like a spot-up shooter. I mean, she does have the defensive potential. Defensively, I think she'd fit right in. So, but there's there's kind of an uncertainty there. Then Shamante Zellis, it's like, okay, you know, she, that's a player. I think you're, no matter who they sign, you're probably not expecting them to play that many minutes, you know, because like Jackie Young can slide over to the three. Sugar Rogers is probably going to demand more minutes, as you said, as well, for no other reason than for just three-point shooting. And Zellis is somebody who can come in like maybe – in emergencies you know she's she's played a little bit of point later in her career I don't think that's a that's a viable option for this team right now but yeah I don't I don't I don't think Tamara Young is an option for this team I think they could do better her skill set is just redundant as you said they've got plenty of wing defense they've got plenty of mid-range jump shooters what she brings is not what they lose with Kelsey Plum being out so my, my list looks just like yours and I will, will say just to add you know the gap between one and two is a lot smaller than the gap between two and three. Like I would be seriously considering either Carson or Davis and not that seriously considering the other two probably. That's fair. So 2020, what do you think this team's going to be good at? Defense. <laughs> Something has to go seriously wrong for them to not be good at defense. I mean, they've just got so much length on the interior. They're so big and strong and they've got a lot of really tenacious perimeter defenders as well, especially, you know, assuming we get a year two leap from Jack Young out there. I think they're still going to be good at getting out in transition. Uh, finishing in transition, not so sure. But again, as long as they get out in transition, as we always say, volume in transition is more important than efficiency. So Yeah, and they still have Wilson and, and Hamby that are going to run out in transition. You know, one thing about Wilson, you know, would like to see her just because she's so good in transition, would like to see that volume go up a little bit. But I do think they're going to continue to be an effective transition team. You know, that was something when I first heard the plum injury news that I was a little worried about, you know, was their transition game, but I'm not sure it'll really take too much of a hit. You know, Kayla McBride is a good enough, I think, passer in transition. Jackie Young is a good enough passer in transition and both of those players are going to push hard. So with, with the two dominant transition bigs that they have, you know, I think they'll be fine there. That's still going to be their identity. And because they know that like, Hey, if we can't get out and get, and get easy looks in transition, the half-court offense is going to be a grind. Although, of course, like they, they are going to have two very good post-up players always in, in Cambage and Wilson. But if you're going to, if you can get a good look in transition with players in the front court like Hamby and Wilson who can get out and beat their defender down the court, you're going to want to do that every time. So 
I think you're not going to see a lot different schematically on either end of the floor, unless Angel McCarthy can really bring something that we're not expecting her to. I mean, we haven't seen her play in like, in like a year and a half, two years. So maybe she's got more left in the tank than we think. Yeah. And just to kind of continue on overall team strengths, just like the rim on both ends of the floor, like they're going to be dominant scoring around the rim with their two bigs and they're going to be dominant, you know, keeping opposing teams away from the rim, the low proportion of shots around the rim. I would expect that to continue the insane block rates. I would expect that to continue. Cambasian Wilson, even with a shrunk floor, I would still expect them to continue to be dominant players down there. Cambage especially, you know, she's just an unstoppable force when she gets a smaller player on her. Weaknesses, you know, I think we kind of know the weaknesses. Uh, right. And I would say that there aren't many weaknesses, but the ones they have have an opportunity to be really damaging. Sure. I mean, like I said uh, much earlier, they sustained High-level scoring against Washington for three out of four games in the semifinals last season. I don't think they'd be able to do that again if the two teams met. I, I just don't. I just don't think there's enough floor spacing. I don't think there's enough playmaking, at least in the half court, on this team. Again, if they can't get out in transition or – They're so good. Here's the thing. Like, they're so good in the post. It, it kind of overshadows some of the spacing issues. But ultimately, like, in a five-game series, it's hard to really be bigger and better and expect to win against a team like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Shooting, obviously a weakness. Spacing, obviously a weakness. Playmaking through dribble penetration, obviously a weakness. Guarding pick and roll rollers, you know, I think that's going to, that was a problem for them last year. I think that's going to continue to be a problem for them. You know, Liz Cambage, for all of her tremendous gifts, this is a real area of opportunity for her. She's, she's not a good pick and roll defender. Uh, you know, one of the worst bigs in the league, to be quite frank. And, and Asia Wilson is you know, okay at it, but but not amazing. So, but the the shooting and the spacing and the lack of playmaking, you know, those are, I think, the things that I think in the end are, are going to be the real significant hindrances to, to, I was considering this team a contender just a few days ago, and now, you know, I'm not considering them a contender. Oh, how about depth? I think depth is a concern as well. Because outside of Derek Hamby, like, where are your really good bench players? Yeah, depth could be a concern, to be sure. You know, I think they do have a rotation players you know don't love all of them but you know daniel robinson is a fine bench point guard i guess you know sugar rogers will bring an element that they need i don't really expect carolyn swords to play so you know i think they have eight good players and, and we'll see what they do with their last roster spot but def, definitely concerned especially if they lose like kayla mcbride even for five games like it's going to get ugly it's going to get ugly for sure. Uglier than, than it already is. Now, is there anything else you kind of wanted to address before we get to our Q&A? Yeah, just, you know, where do you see this team finishing? So, like, in my opinion, this this was a top three team coming into the season. But now I, I think they're still, like, second tier at, at the moment just because of their strengths, just because of their, their, their defensive strengths and their rebounding and, and uh, their ability to push the basketball. But I think... Now, with, with Plump being out, they're very clearly behind Los Angeles. I think they're behind Seattle. I think they're behind Washington. So maybe within that, that next tier of teams like Chicago, Phoenix, depending on how, how good you think Atlanta is going to be. What about you? Yeah, I would have them as, for how I kind of broke it down, like a third tier team. I think they'll be in the same neighborhood as Chicago and Atlanta. You know, the defense is still going to be awesome as as we talked about, but I just think that, you know, this knocks them down out of championship contention and into the the realm of good solid playoff teams where you expect them to make the playoffs, but if they were to win a championship, that would be pretty surprising at this point. 
Okay, yep. and, and I just realized I forgot about the Connecticut Sun. Um, I'm not trying to be on another playoff motivational video. So, <laughs> do you think they're they're going to be on the same level as, as the Sun, or do you think the Sun will be better as well? I think the Sun will likely be better. I would say uh, I have the Sun, you know, in the same neighborhood as Washington and Seattle for different reasons. You know, going into this before the plum injury, Vegas was in my top tier with LA. At this point, LA, I guess, is kind of in that tier by themselves. Seattle, the moment we see a fully healthy Brianna Stewart, they're going to be in that tier, but I just got to see it first. You know, that's a really tough injury to come back from. You know, even if they only get like a competent Sue Bird and not like a dominant one, you know, I think they still have enough to to contend for a championship if Brianna Stewart is Brianna Stewart. You know, Washington, I think they're going to be worse. But still, those teams are all solidly ahead of Vegas at this point. It's so wild just, just listening to you talk about this. An injury to one player and like a bench player. Like, like we love Kelsey Plum, but like she'd, be coming up, she'd probably be coming off the bench for this team. So just one injury could just – it just goes to show how competitive this league is at the top, you know, like – well, I mean, she might be coming off the bench for this team, but she's definitely one of their five best players. Right, right, right. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you, you look at what one injury can do for the whole landscape of the league. It's, it's, it's incredible, like, the, the, how concentrated the talent is. Yeah. But, yeah, so... And yeah. they still have a top-five player in Liz Cambage. They still have a second, you know, borderline superstar in Asia Wilson. You know, Kayla McBride is a pretty darn good third-best player. That's a great place to start, you know, even if you do have roster limitations. Unless the wheels really fall off, which... You know, you never know. Maybe they will, but I, I, it's hard to see them not being a solid playoff team. There could be – there are worse positions to be in. So did you want to talk about kind of what we would need to see from Asia Wilson for her to take the kind of next step to MVP contender? Sure. I think Asia's definitely got it in her. Like like we said, she's she just finished her year, tw- her year 22 season. This actually kind of bleeds into our Q&A, but – Oh, yeah. Let's just get into it then. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, we had an interesting question proposed to us by Peter Kilkelly. I uh, hope I pronounced that correctly. My apologies if I didn't. At Five Out Basketball on Twitter. He asks, can Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage be maximized together and how? Or are there diminishing returns to having both as good as they are individually? Good question, Peter. I love that you threw in the diminishing returns term in there because I think that's really important to consider in basketball. I think Stephen and I both agree that they kind of are being maximized together already. Well, I mean, I think like, optimization like that's an interesting term right because are they a perfect fit for each other like I think you could maybe find like Brianna Stewart maybe would be a better fit playing along Liz Cambage like John Quill Jones maybe would be a little bit better of a fit playing along Asia Wilson just because she can shoot the three but like the two of them are definitely talented enough to where they could win a title together like they in my opinion were the second best team in basketball last year you know they didn't their playoff series didn't go as long as Connecticut's playoff series but like they would have beaten Connecticut in the playoff series in my opinion and they gave Washington like really tough losses. Like, so like imagine if instead of drafting Jackie Young, this team had Nafisa Collier, or imagine if they signed Shakina Strickland in free agency. Like I think either of those two things would give this team like enough spacing to where this wouldn't really be all that big of a consideration because the spacing around these two players would be good enough to where things aren't so cramped. But, you know, I, I don't want to kind of harp on a young player too much, but the ability to shrink the floor with Jackie Young and with Tamara Young on the floor last year just kind of really made this pairing look more incongruous than it is. Like these two players definitely can work together at a high level and they did work together at a high level last year. Yeah. I mean, this, this goes back to something I was saying earlier. It, it's not like Wilson and Cambage are both primarily back to the basket players who have nothing else in their arsenal. Like they're both very skilled for their size. 
you know, I think Liz is in particular, she's a better passer than people give her credit for. They, if the floor is spaced with like three other good shooters, this is going to be a completely dominant front court. So being maximized or being optimized or however you want to put it, it depends more on what you put around them than them playing together. Obviously, whenever you have two really good front court players who play in the low post or in the paint, you're going to want to surround them with three shooters. Well, and one other thing I would say is, you know, I don't think that the league is so perimeter based at the big spots where this pairing like can't work, where they're just going to kind of get run off the floor by floor spacing. Unless you're Washington, when which who not coincidentally won uh, won the championship with a historically good offense last year. But I digress. So. Now going now let's let's kind of go back to that Asia Wilson question you proposed to me. You know, to be an MVP candidate, I hate to say this, she's going to need to not have Liz Cambage next to her and hold your fire here. This is because so much of MVP is just like per game stats. It, I, don't, I don't like I don't agree with it at all. But if you have those two carrying the basketball, I find it hard to see how Asia is going to put up a high enough volume to become an MVP candidate. I think she become she can become an MVP caliber player if I don't know, just maybe if she, if she becomes like better with her right hand, maybe if she can stay on the floor a little better with better pick-and-roll defense. I was kind of surprised to see that her pick-and-roll defense was not that great last season. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see like her passing improve just a little bit. She's uh, a really great play finisher, to be sure, but would, would just like to see a little bit more uh, of the passing, you know, finishing with the right hand. You mentioned it. Just kind of like keeping the ball high down low. I think a lot of the opportunities where – she allows defenses to block her shot. You know, she has really great hands and a lot of times on either an offensive rebound or a post entry pass or something like she just kind of keeps the ball high and is able to just, you know, turn and score or whatever the situation calls for. But there are a lot of occasions and this sort of led to her being among the league leaders and getting her shot blocked where she will uh, bring the ball down, throw up a couple pump fakes that, that don't really go anywhere and then end up getting the shot blocked. And then, you know, one other thing that I think will kind of, lead into the point that you were making about per game stats is just like getting out in transition more. I mentioned it before, but you know, only seven and a half percent of her possessions were in transition. And this is not enough for Asia Wilson. Like she is a tremendous transition player is yeah. going to outrun her defender down the floor. And as I mentioned, great athleticism, great hands. Like she just needs to use this part of her arsenal even more than she already does. I think she's a really, really good interior defender. You know, I kind of mentioned it before in terms of like the, the block rate with both of them on the floor you know, the follow rate with both her and Cambage on the floor. But I think if she could improve on the perimeter, you know, that would that would go a long way as well. But yeah, I'm not sure if I necessarily expect MVP contention, but I mean, she's, you know, right at the precipice, you know, it, it's not going to take a lot to be sure. Perennial all-star, without a doubt. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's only a matter of time before it's like perennial all-league. Right, exactly. As the as the old guard of, of you know this 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 league is is so stacked in in the front court, but you know once once the Sylvia Fowles's and, and and Tina Charles's start to you know retire, Candace Parker, as, we, we, we hate to see it, but Asia's got next. Um, she's a tremendous young talent, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing the best from her. Anything else you'd like to add, Stephen? No, man. I guess I just sign us out. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Podcast Manager, as it's now called. Eric, this was uh, a great time. <laughs> Had a lot of fun researching this team and talking about them. As always. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Please stay safe. Please stay, stay healthy. And we will catch you next time.